1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to finish up part 2 of our study here dealing decisively with sin. And I want to really um, speak to the issue that's in view here. As we studied last time together in the first part of this chapter, the first six verses, there was a serious sin problem in the church at Corinth. And I want to be really careful here that we do not take this and apply it to every single little thing that goes on in the church. Because to do so brings the dearth of legalism. To do so causes people to be judgmental in the wrong way. To do so makes us abnormally and, quite frankly, inconsistently with Scripture, judges of everyone else's life in minutia and in great detail. That is not what is in view here. What is in view here is pervasive, unrepentant, completely undealt with, very extreme sin that required someone to actually be removed from the church. Let me share with you, I have been the pastor of this church for 12 years. We have removed exactly two people from this church, two in 12 years. Because if we really do what the rest of Scripture says, removing someone from the body should not only be very rare, but should also most of the time not be necessary. Because if I love my brothers and sisters in the Lord, then I'm willing to confront sin in their life in a way that they hear from the Lord and they change. If I truly care about the body of Christ, the last thing I want to do is expose someone else's sin to the entire church so that everybody knows what's going on in their life because love, Scripture declares, covers a multitude of sin. So the basis of what's being said here should be that we understand that ultimately we must deal with unrepentant sin. But we should not jump immediately to the conclusion that that person needs to be kicked out of the church, as is the custom of some. The legalist looks at someone's life and sees the sin and says, get rid of the bum. The grace bearer says, let me help you through that problem, brother or sister. Let me come alongside of you and minister to you. Let me hold you accountable to God's word. Let me love on you in such a way that this issue is dealt with in your life. Make no mistake. We as the church want to love people through their problems. We want to see them come out the other side of their problem and be walking more strongly with the Lord. So as we finish this chapter, and as we deal decisively with sin, remember that dealing decisively with sin also means truth in love. Not just truth, truth in love. You cannot have truth without love, and you cannot have love without truth. You must have both. But make no mistake, at the end of the day, no matter who you're dealing with, for what reason, they should know that you love them. 
They should know that God loves them and that the stand that you take on a decisive issue of sin is one because you love them. Not because you hate them. Not because their sin is so abhorrent that you can't be around them, but because you love them. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, as we draw our attention now to your word, and we, Father, are so grateful for your grace in our lives. And Lord, we don't want to spit on that grace by continuing in sin. Lord, our lives should be holy, and we should be obedient to your word. And there are times when we fail at that. Lord, help us to have that proper measure of truth balanced with love, that grace would abound. Lord, but also help us to stand for what you stand for and against what you stand against. But help us to never be guilty of simply standing against everything. Lord, we know that this world needs desperately the good news. And Father, we can't give the good news if we isolate ourselves from the world. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that it contains. And pray now that you'd bless us as we study. In Christ's precious name we pray these things. Amen. In verse 6, the New International Version says this, For your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sanctified. You see, Paul was writing to those who wanted to ignore sin. A very specific sin, a very severe sin, a very pervasive sin, a very corrupting sin, an unrepentant sin, and he was not addressing someone who merely slipped up. This was not somebody who, you know, got caught having a few beers at a bar. This was not somebody who, you know, said a naughty word. This was someone who was living a habitual life of sin. And so in that case, extreme measures are called for. you got to do what you need to do to deal decisively with the issue of sin. And sometimes it takes very extreme measures. And so that is what's in view here. Sins that are left unrepentant and undealt with. And you all know this. I need not share it with you. If you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, if you have sin in your life and it's unrepentant, what does it do with your relationship with God? It breaks it. It destroys it. It diminishes it. Your prayer life goes in the tank. It also works in your family, does it not? It affects your children. It affects you. It affects your marriage. It does all of those things. Sin is a bad thing. And we cannot lose sight of the fact that we have been called to be holy people. But what is not in view here is the things that we all stumble in, the things that we all have little quirks in our lives. What's in view here is someone who simply won't give up very severe sin. They had to expel that person. They had to take that unchecked, that destructive thing that would rot the church. 
And if you remember, as I shared with you, one of the reasons I believe the church today is so ineffective, and I'm talking about the church in the world, the whole church, all of it and all of its various flavors, everyone who names the name of Christ, who teaches God's word with authority, doesn't matter what group they belong to, that whole church, one of the reasons that we have lost our effectiveness in our world is we don't stand against sin. We, we won't call sin, sin. And family of God, we have to call sin, sin. But how we call sin, sin matters. If we're simply going to be a bunch of people who stand out on the street corner and yell at people who are, who are struggling with uh, homosexuality, if all we're going to do is scream and yell at people who go into bars and get drunk, if all we're going to do is point out the faults of everyone else and exhibit no love in doing so, no one will come to that Jesus. No one will. No one wants anything to do with a hateful God. So there must be a way that we can do that and still draw people to Jesus. Amen? And there is. But you know what happens? It takes work. It's hard to, to struggle with someone while they're dealing with an issue in their life is hard work. It's painful. And at times you go through things you don't want to go through. Anyone that's been a Christian for any length of period of time that's had someone in their life that also names the name of sin and names the name of the Lord, remember that this person who's sinning is a brother. This is someone else who names the name of Christ. If you've had someone like that, you know how hard it is to watch them go through those things. Amen? It's hard. But the last thing that you want to do is cause them to think that there's no hope. Amen? I don't want to cause people to think that there's no hope in Christ. But I also have to deal with the sin. There must be a way to do it. You see what's really being said here, and I love the fact that there's an Old Testament example. It really comes from Exodus chapter 12. You can read that passage later. Exodus chapter 12 is the story of the original exodus of the Jewish people from captivity in Egypt. And if you remember the story there, the basis of it is this. They had been in captivity, in bondage for 400 years. And in that bondage for 400 years, they had lived under the oppression of Pharaoh. Their lives had been counted as dust. They were nothing. And in that, as the Lord finally delivers them, they needed to move very quickly to get out from underneath the thumb of Pharaoh, which is a type of the world. And, and that sin which had beset them in that land was exemplified in the leaven that was in their bread. And they needed to move with haste. And so the Lord commands them, guys, you don't have time to mess with this. Bake your bread without leaven. Put the blood on your doorpost and get out of Dodge. You, you need to do something here. You need to deal decisively with it. And those who did were saved. And those who didn't were lost. If you don't deal decisively with sin, can I say to you that what is at risk is perhaps you don't know the Lord. I won't judge you. 
I will not judge another man's basis of salvation. But what I can do, and we're going to get to it in a few moments, is I can look at the fruit of that person's life and say, you should be concerned. Because what God's Word says, you don't do. And what God's Word says not to do, that you do. That tells me you have a problem with understanding what God expects of His people, which means to me, perhaps you don't know Him at all. I'm not judging you. I'm simply saying you need to judge yourself. If you can sit around in an unrepentant sexual relationship, you got a problem with God. If you can sit around smoking dope, you got a problem with God. If you can sit around as a drunk, you've got a problem with God. If you're viewing porn, you have a problem with God. If you constantly use foul language, you have a problem with God. If you mistreat your wife, you have a problem with God. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't have a problem with me. I don't have a problem with you. I am a sinner. But I can look at your life and say, you know what? You can't beat your wife and name the name of Jesus. You can't. You're to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. You can't beat her. You cannot mistreat your children and exasperate them. You can't drive them uh, out of your home as if you have no care for them. You can't do that. It says you don't have love. I'm not judging you. God is judging you. His Word is judging you. And so as we continue this passage, he says, therefore, in verse 8, let us keep the festival not with old yeast, but with the, with the yeast that is malice and wickedness. That was the old way. The old way was the sinful way. See, here's what it means. Because your life is now hidden in Christ, because you're a child of God, you can't keep the old life. You can't hang on to your sin. You can't be malicious and wicked. And it's just simply typing the old life. This isn't listing all the qualifications for someone who's not walking with the Lord. It's simply saying what you used to have is malicious wickedness. With forethought, maliciously, you sinned. You didn't care. You just did whatever you wanted to do, and to some degree, you didn't know no better. Amen? When you weren't walking with the Lord, most people are going, oh, you know, I don't really know if that's sin or not. You'll hear that from people who don't know Jesus. But that's not the new you. And it certainly isn't the church. So the new way, with bread without yeast, yeast is a type of sin. No sin. There shouldn't be sin in the church of any flavor, any kind. We should be dealing decisively with it. We should be sweeping it out, just as the Jewish people did at Passover. They went through their entire house, and they looked for yeast. And it was rather like a game. Someone would actually hide a little package of dough with yeast in it. And it would be somewhere inside of the house. And it would be a task. Let's go find the yeast, and let's get rid of it. Let's make sure there's none here. We want to be a holy people separated unto God. That's just that personal introspection that each one of us should have. I need to look at my life and go, Lord, is there sin in my life? Is there something going on in me that's not pleasing to you? You're not going to kick me out of your kingdom. You're a God of grace, but I want to be pleasing to you. So you go looking for your sin. 
Ask God, Lord, reveal these things to me. If I've got a problem with you, if it's separating me and you, show me what it is. Maybe you got a temper. Maybe you got some leftover baggage from the world. Maybe there's something in your mind or in your heart that God just simply wants to sweep out. Let him sweep it out. That new relationship, it's a figurative way of just saying, man, you're in Christ. You're a believer by grace and through faith. Live that way. As Scripture declares, we have not been made free to continue in sin. We've been made free so that we might be well-pleasing to the Lord. That old life with yeast shouldn't be the way we live our lives anymore. Romans chapter 12 says this in verse 2. Don't copy, I'm reading from the New Living, the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will know what God wants you to do. And you will know how God wants you to be good and pleasing and perfect in His true and perfect will. You see, you just simply can't keep living the old way anymore. And so when someone chooses to live the old way, family of God, you have an obligation, hear me well, you have an obligation if you love them to say, you know what, brother, sister, God's word's pretty clear on that issue. You really need to check and see whether that's what God wants you to be doing or not. You don't have to judge them. You can simply point them to the truth of what Scripture says. And leave them in the hands of a God who loves them. And hopefully they'll change. But if they won't, there comes a point in time when we absolutely must deal with that sin. As I shared with you only twice since I've been the pastor of this church in a dozen years, have we actually had to remove somebody from the fellowship of this church? Now, have we dealt decisively with many sin issues? You better believe it. You better believe it, we have. But the goal is always restoration. We want people restored into right fellowship and right relationship with the God who loves them. And there's very rarely times when that can't happen. But if it does... And if that person won't repent, then we need to deal with that sin. Because if not, it rots the church. That's what will happen. If I find out about some major sin issue and I do not deal with it as a pastor, I am an unfit shepherd. Period. And there are times when I hate that part of my job. Okay? I hate it. I don't want to know, quite frankly. Because most of us can look at our own lives and, man, i got enough problems in myself. Well, why am I, you know, why am I doing this? But we have to. I have to. The eldership, the leadership of this church has to. You, as believers, must. You don't have a choice. Deal with it. So that the church would be a holy bride, acceptable unto the Lord. That's what we want. And he goes on, and pick up with me in in verse 9. There's a letter that's mentioned here. We don't know what that letter is. We're not sure where it came from. It's part of a letter that, that was not preserved as Scripture. 
But when I wrote to you before, referring to that letter, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. So this is obviously an ongoing pervasive issue, amen? I would say to you it's an ongoing pervasive issue in our culture today. Be aware, be watchful. Let me share with you. We find out there's somebody who's hunting the women in this church who has ill motivation, they'll be dealt with. We'll take care of it. The leaders of this church will take care of it. So if that's the reason you're here, beware. The shepherds in this church have crooks, and we will use them. In Jesus' name. (laughs) If you've come here and you have ill intent for our children, beware. We will beat you. It will not be good. We'll confront that sin head on. Swiftly and decisively. And if you repent, we'll be the first one to welcome you into the fold. But if you persist, we'll give you the left boot of fellowship, which will be the parking lot first. We need to deal with that. But notice, and this is so important, those who indulge. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin. Would you please underline that? Because if every Christian on this earth removes themselves from friendship with people who don't know Jesus because they're in sin, you have given away the best hope they have of hearing the gospel. We must have unsaved friends. We must have people in our lives who do not know Jesus. We have not been called to be a Christian club, isolating ourselves in our little family units and making the church a club that if you're not in, you are out. We welcome unbelieving sinners. Amen? We must. We've been called to share the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. You can't do that if you join your little club and then you all stay together. You're going to have friends that are sleeping with their boyfriends and girlfriends. You're going to have friends who get drunk every Friday night. You're going to have friends who are doing despicable things. Tell them about Jesus and don't be a hypocrite. Love on them. Show them a different way of life. It shouldn't shock you that your unsaved friends do all kinds of dumb things. It makes me nuts when I talk to, well, you know, I wouldn't hang around with them. After all, they do this or that. If they don't know Jesus, you've been called to share Jesus with them. And you can't do that unless you spend some time with them. You need to share with people who don't know Jesus. Paul is not talking about unsaved people here. He's talking about people who name the name of the Lord. Underline it, mark it. Or who are greedy. Swindlers, idol worshipers, family of God, they don't have Christ. They don't know any better. Your unsaved family needs to come to your house for Christmas. And you know what? Your grandpa, your uncle's probably going to sit there and use a few words that you don't use in your house. So what? Do you hear what I said? 
You know why I said that? Because I want to shock you. Didn't you use those words? Weren't you like that? Didn't someone take time to share Christ with you when you were lost and hopeless? Don't get all holy in that way. Be ye holy and separate, says the Lord, applies to your life in Christ. You should not lose your witness in the world because you're too good to be around sin. Does that mean that you encourage that kind of behavior? Heavens, no. Does that mean that you want people to speak like that in your presence? Absolutely not. But it does mean that when someone says that, you shouldn't go, Get thee behind me, Satan. How dare you? After all, don't you know I'm a Christian? I'm holy. There are believers that are like that. There's a large part of the church that's like that. There are legalists all over this world. Oh, man, somebody cussed. I can't be around them. Again, I'm not telling you to accept it. I'm telling you to help change it. Minister to them. Every once in a while, I'll end up playing with golf with some guys that don't know the Lord. It's actually kind of funny when they find out I'm a pastor. <laughs> they don't even know how to talk. They're out there, oh, zip, They try and come up with new words that are actually swear words, but they're not real swear words. They're just other words that are used in a swearing way. You want to you wanna minister to them. Oh, man, I can't play with you. I mean, after all, you see the halo? That's actually just my bald spot glowing. <laughs> Notice what it says. For you'd have to leave this world to avoid people like that. You'd have to give up living. You'd have to move off of this planet and find your own. What I meant is you're not to associate with anyone who claims to be a Christian and yet indulges in sexual sin. Do you see the difference? You need to be a witness in the world. You need to love on people who need Jesus. And yet, you're probably going to hear some words that you won't use and you don't want to hear. It's not going to kill you. If you're holy, those things, you say, that's, that's your cue to pray for that person. It's your cue to minister to them. Go to a ball game. I mean, I have had people go, oh, I won't go to a baseball game because, you know, people drink beer. Really? I didn't know that. <laughs> you know, the guy in front of me was cussing. I don't like it either. But you know what? I have done this. I've tapped the guy in the shoulder and going, you know what? I don't think God likes his name being used in vain. The guy's like, Be an agent of change. Don't just be a pointer out of the faults of the world. The world has problems and you've been called to help fix them. Or is greedy or worships idols. See, when you're talking about Christians, it's a different deal. Drunkard, a swindler. says don't even eat with those kind of people because we do know better. And we're not supposed to act like that. That person, you go, look, man, you and I are going to have to break fellowship. 
I can't be a... You tell me you're a Christian, and yet you do the very things that you're not supposed to do. Let's hold each other accountable. You help me with my weaknesses, I'll help you with yours. And so what's really in view here is a couple of things, and I want to close. We need to be very careful to not underreact to sin in the church. Hear what I said. We need to be very careful to not underreact to sin in the church, in the body of Christ. But we also need to be careful not to overreact to sin in the world. We are not a cult. We are not a commune. We are not a club. We're no sea thing. We are the body of Christ. We are the arms of love. We are the voice of God very often. We are the way that people come to that knowledge of God through the speaking of the Word of God. And we can't do that if we isolate ourselves from everybody who does something wrong, who doesn't know Jesus. So get out there and be Jesus to people. But when you find a brother or a sister in the church who's got a problem with sin, if you love them, help them get through that problem. Talk to them. Sit down with them. Show them what Scripture says. Hold them accountable. What Paul says here is you're going to try and get away from people who don't know Jesus, who are sinning, you're going to need to leave the earth. Amen. Matter of fact, if you're honest, you're not going to find a church that doesn't have sinners in it, because we're all still sinners. We're just saved sinners. Amen? By grace, I might add. Let's make sure we keep that in view. Because I'll tell you what, I'm not getting to heaven because I'm sinless in Jeff. I'm sinless in Jesus. I'm getting there because Christ died for my sins. Not because I cleaned up everything in my life and I've been completely, perfectly holy. I have not. You see, we need to be honest. Intellectually honest, not hypocrites. We can't pick and choose what sins we deal with in the body of Christ, and we also can't pick and choose whether we're going to be a witness in the world. Amen? You don't have a choice. You have been given the Great Commission. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Period. And for some of you, that just means living your life in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. You know what, I'm thankful for people who are out there kind of on the edge of stuff at times. And I'm not saying that you sully yourself with the things of the world. Make, make that very clear in your hearts and your minds. I'm not suggesting that you go dip yourself in the sewage of this life. But what I am suggesting to you is that as you go and you interact with people that don't know Jesus, you're their best hope. You offer the cure to what ails them. It's as if the church has a cure for cancer, and we're all wandering around. We're kind of holding on. I'm not giving it to you. I got it myself. I'm going to go to heaven. But, you know, you're dirty. Isn't that crazy? Think about it. We need to be very, very, very careful. It's one of the reasons that I think the church has lost a vast majority of its witness in this world. We've become hypocritical. We accept sin in church, and we point out sin in the world. It's exactly the opposite of what the Bible teaches. We should be cleaning up the church 
and reaching out to the world. That's what Scripture teaches. And I love what it says. It finishes up this way. For it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. Not my responsibility. I'm not wandering around with my holy meter on unbelievers. It's going to come back bad every time. It's a given. But it certainly is your job to judge those who are on the inside of the church who are sinning in these ways. God will judge those who are on the outside. God takes care of that. Your job is not to judge. Your job is to be a light. Your job is to be salt. Your job is to be a witness. On the church, you need to confront sin. On the outside, you need to preach Christ crucified, who is the solution to sin. But as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. So in the church, we can take John chapter 7, where Jesus applies the, the golden rule. He says, judge not. Unless you want to be judged exactly the same way. And people often misquote that passage of Scripture and say, well, don't judge me. That isn't what it says at all. In fact, it says exactly the opposite. Because it goes on at the end of that chapter in verse 24. It says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. You take out your Bible. You live by it. And then you're able to remove that speck from your brother's eye. You do what's right yourself, and then you can talk to somebody who's in sin. You've been called, actually, to judge. And it's actually interesting to me that people who judge, people who judge are actually judging. Amen? Oh, man, don't judge me. Well, you're judging the fact that I'm judging you. So aren't we both judgers? I'm just judging you with righteousness. I'm picking up my Bible and going, dude, what is up with that? God's not going to bless that. You see, let God do the the, the salvation determination. Amen? You just live holy in Christ Jesus. And reach out to people who don't know him. And in doing so, praise the Lord. We're going to be able to share that good news with people who will desperately be grateful for it when they get to heaven. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you for the forgiveness of sin. Lord, in my life, in our lives, and Lord, we pray that when we find those difficult cases in the church that will be swift and decisive, Lord, it will help those people grow in Christ and, Lord, change. And if necessary, God, it will take the the proper steps according to your holy word, Lord, to deal with things that that are extreme. God, help us to never abandon the world. Lord, the world needs you, and we truly are the best and the greatest hope for people to find Jesus if we'll just simply live our lives according to your holy and infallible word. We bless you. We thank you. We praise you that you're a gracious God who pours out upon us each day wonderful blessings. And we thank you for the way that you love on us when we're even unlovable. Lord, that you are faithful when we are faithless. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. And all God's people said, Amen.